Morning Summit family, I'm Brian Agavino, the lead pastor. It's great to be with you as we launch into a new series on the book of Habakkuk. What do you wrestle with God about? You know, when I was growing up, uh, there was this cartoon TV show that I watched on Saturday mornings. I can still remember it was just on for a year. It was called, I had to look it up though, Hulk Hogan's Rockin' Wrestling. Yes, it was about all these wrestlers in a cartoon show, all the classic WWF 1980s wrestlers, and they did all these crazy things. It was really, really quite a bad show. So when it comes, that's why it was only on for a year. When it comes to wrestling, though, the big question is what? Is it real, right? Is wrestling even a real thing? Well, I start on a little bit of a lighthearted note today. In some ways, because over the next four weeks, as we dig into the book of Habakkuk, we're going to find and hear from a prophet who wrestles with God. And nothing about his wrestling with God is fake. It's incredibly sincere, incredibly real, and incredibly hard. You see, Habakkuk is, is going to go on a journey from sorrow to silence to song. And the problem is, I think for many of us, when it comes to the struggles in this life, we skip the first two. And because of that, it actually limits and hinders, if you will, our trust in God. Do you think it's okay to wrestle with God? Do you know how to wrestle with God? Personally, I've been asking God to really grow me here, just if I can open up to you guys a little bit. You know, for much of my life, I've struggled to really engage with anybody, for that matter, on hard or difficult emotions. You know, I consider myself a pretty happy person, and frankly, I like people to view me that way. I like being that person, and so I avoid hard and difficult emotions and experiences. Maybe some of you are like me. You know, I've experienced a lot of hard things in my life. I've been at the death of young people, of people of cancer. I've experienced difficult things in church journey and all different kinds of things we could talk about. And oftentimes I find myself quickly, like even when I'm talking to other people about it, kind of landing on this plane that or, you know, saying, well, that God is sovereign or he's got this. And, and uh, you know, we have these platitudes that we use that are cliche, but, but I'm not saying that negatively necessarily about me, that I would just, you know, that I did truly believe that in some way. Because in some ways it's not wrong to look at hard and difficult situations and scenarios in this life and, and trust in the sovereignty of God. Because, frankly, when we come to the end of the book of Habakkuk, that's where we're going to be. But I, I think the danger is when we go straight to the sovereignty of God, when, when we avoid the struggle, when we avoid the wrestling. And I get it. I mean, who wants to experience pain of grief, the heartache of loss? Who wants to wrestle with the cruelty of injustice or the silence of God? But what if skipping that actually hinders our trust of God? Or to say it by versa, what if entering into those things would increase our trust of God? 
Habakkuk is a book that helps us see how to wrestle with God. And not only that, it invites us into that wrestling. In fact, what we will find is that when we learn to genuinely wrestle with God, our trust deepens. Let me say that again. When we learn to generally wrestle with God, our trust in Him deepens. I heard someone say this week, you can be emotional without being spiritual, but you can't be spiritual without being emotional. Over the next weeks, we're going to wrestle with some hard things in the book of Habakkuk. Why does God allow injustice? Why does God allow suffering and violence? Where is God when we're struggling? How are we supposed to respond when things aren't going the way we want or expect? How can we come to God with our complaints? i ask you, what are you wrestling with today? In all sincerity, would you just ponder and think about what it is that really is that thing inside of you that you just kind of wish would go away but can't get rid of? Maybe you're wrestling with the brokenness of this world right now and the violence that it's existing and and the fears that are being created about what's going on in Russia and Ukraine and all around the world. Maybe you're wondering about the absence of God, the apparent absence of God in that. Maybe it's a little more close to home. Maybe you're wrestling with a suffering you're facing because of the sin of somebody else. Are you wrestling with something that happened in your past that you were wrongly accused or mistreated or cheated? I want us to come to God this week. It's, it's really my hope and prayer to bring our struggles and our complaints. And today as we look at Habakkuk chapter 1, my proposition for us church is this, that genuine trust is displayed and develops in wrestling complaints. Genuine trust is displayed and develops in wrestling complaints. So what we're going to look at today as we look at Habakkuk chapter 1 is we're going to look at the path of the conversation and the anatomy of complaining. The path of the conversation and the anatomy of complaining. So let's dig into chapter 1 here, the path of the conversation. We'll see that really there are three parts to this chapter and we'll see it continues on next week. But first we see Habakkuk's intense and aggressive complaining to God. In verses 2 through 4, Habakkuk starts by asking some really hard things about what's happening in Israel. So Israel at this point had been broken into two kingdoms. There was a northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, and the southern kingdom was Judah. That's where Habakkuk is living and preaching, probably around 600 B.C., and it's before the Babylonian captivity, which is actually what he's going to be talking about and prophesying about. And he is horrified with what is happening in, in Judah. And, you know, he, he basically calls out here what's happening. He uses some hard words. He says there's destruction and violence, strife and contention. There's basically moral corruption inside and injustice inside Judah. And so in verse 4, he says, So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the rick- wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. The law is paralyzed and not being obeyed. And he's looking at God's people and he just sees evil. And what what Habakkuk's prayer is, is he's saying, God, where are you? What are you doing? 
I'm crying out to you and you're not responding. How in the world are you tolerating what's happening here? And, and he's, he's just mortified by the evil and the injustice that's happening and God's lack of response to that. And he confronts God with a strong, intense language. Why aren't you doing anything, God? Why have you abandoned us? And, and so we need to ask a question here. Is that okay? I mean, is it okay to approach God like that? I mean, Habakkuk's not coming with some niceties here. There's, there's nothing in the language in the, in the Hebrew about how he's coming to God that, that there's some kind of softness. No, he is calling God out. One version in verse 3, it actually says, Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? As if he's making an accusation against God in the way that he's acting. I mean, have you ever talked to someone like that? with just rawness and real emotion, with bluntness and truth? If, if you're like me, the answer is maybe, and really, it, it, it's been very rare. It, it's definitely, if it is when I do that, it's because it's with someone that it's not about. It's never against or to or face-to-face with the person that I'm frustrated with. Why? Well, there's probably a lot of reasons for that. <laughs> I don't know about you, but when people come to speak to me like that with raw emotion, it's uncomfortable. And so why are we reluctant to talk to others and and maybe even more importantly to talk to God like that? I think one reason is because we know that if we were to expose ourselves like that, really show what's going on in our hearts, we think people, and, and it applies to God as well, that he wouldn't accept us. I mean, frankly, we're taught as Christians to avoid raw emotion, that it's wrong. But yet here we see a real-life example of a prophet expressing some intense emotion to God, actually challenging God. Perhaps it's an actual sign of emotional and spiritual health to engage God like that. God welcomes us in our messy prayers because in some way they actually show a trust of God. A little more on that later, but let's keep going in the path of the conversation here. So so Habakkuk comes with not niceties, but his real intensity towards God and his frustration, God, where are you? And let's see how God responds. We see it in verses 5 through 11. And basically what God does is he reveals here in this next section that He, what he's going to do, that he is going to do something. And he says, I'm going to do something you couldn't even believe, you couldn't even wrap your heads around. He says, look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if I told you. And, and, and basically what happens here is he's going to, and he goes on to explain here, that he's going to use the Chaldeans or the Babylonians or the same people, and God's going to bring them to bring justice, to bring the rebuke upon the Judah, the Israelites, who are far from God. And God, even in this passage, what he does is he describes who they are. He describes the Babylonians. They're bitter and they're hasty. 
that they are far from just, they are very violent, and they have no reverence for God. That's, this is how God describes this group of people that he's going to send to bring to conquer Judah. Now, there's two things we need to point out about God's response. The first is this. God is not uncomfortable with Habakkuk's wrestling. God actually answers Habakkuk without really rebuking him at all. Now, we'll talk a little bit more, again, about why he doesn't do that in a minute, but, but let's point out right now that God is okay with Habakkuk coming with this intensity. Now, the second thing we see is that the way God addresses Habakkuk's concern and his struggle and his frustration is he tells him, he says, I am working in my timing. That the principle here is God is doing something. He's doing it when he feels is the right time. Basically, God allows Habakkuk's complaint and he tells him gently that he's wrong. That Habakkuk's saying, where are you, God? Why aren't you doing anything? And God says, actually, I am about to do something. I do see what's happening. I do have a plan. But it's going to come in my time. I remember when I lived in Germany, the people there had this saying. They would say, the German trains are always on time. It's uh, a bad accent, but I love Germany. I loved living there. And they would say, the German trains are always on time. And they took real pride in that. And here's the deal. They weren't. <laughs> it was kind of a crazy thing. It was kind of like a little bit of an insider joke in Germany that they would always be on time. But there was this sense that they were saying, whether they were late or early or whatever was happening, they were right on time. And in some ways, that's what God is saying here. He's saying, just trust me, Habakkuk. My time is always the right time. It's always on time. And God's inviting Habakkuk to trust his timing. You know, why is it hard for us to trust the timing of God? Well, it's easy. <laughs> because we don't always understand it. And that's exactly what's happening here. God tells Habakkuk he won't understand, and he doesn't understand. But yet the conversation continues. And so Habakkuk then has this amazing response to God. I love it. He, he, he starts by reflecting on who God is and what he's done, and then he says, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. And so basically what he's doing here is he brings a complaint to God. God, where are you? Why aren't you doing anything with what's going on in Judah? And Judah, and then so so then God says, I am doing something. I'm gonna send the Babylonians. And then his response, Habakkuk's response to that is. You call that an answer? What? He, he, his response to God's response is even a stronger frustration, a stronger complaint. He's like, how in the world can you use a wicked nation that is more evil than Judah, more violent than Judah, more idolatrous than Judah, to bring about what it is that you want to see happen? I have several favorite parts of the book of Habakkuk as I've been studying it over this last several weeks. I love next week we're going to talk about Chapter 2, verse 4, I love the very end of the book of Habakkuk 3, 17 through 19, and it's this section. 
I love Habakkuk's response. Why? Because he's not okay with what God is going to do. He doesn't quite understand what God's going to do, and what does he do? He tells him. He, he, he comes with even more boldness before the throne of God, and he says, God, I don't understand. Have you ever stopped to consider how much of the Bible is about complaining? Job, Lamentations, the Psalms, the Prophets. There's so much in the Bible where people are expressing their true and honest emotion to God and the struggles they're experiencing in this broken world. And even after, after he hears what God is about to do, he says, I'm not okay with that. It's not okay. And here we see his frustration. And he expresses that to God. I don't know about you, but as a Christian, emotions like that, I mean, I, I, don't, I can't, don't even have a concept for how to understand those. I mean, maybe you could have said to me, yes, bring your complaints to God, and then when God responds, your response to that should be, okay, whatever you say. But here we see this incredibly powerful and beautiful picture of someone who's really entering into and processing their struggles with God. In Christianity, we created a culture where we say, okay, maybe it's okay to tell God what you think, but then you have to put on a happy face. We might say it's, it's okay to be real with God, but make sure you move on quickly. We don't know how to wrestle with God, and so we just avoid it. Kurt Thompson, in a really interesting book called The Anatomy of the Soul, he wrote, Remember that emotion is not a debatable phenomenon. It is an authentic reflection of our subjective experience, one that is best served by attending to it. Hiding and running from our emotions doesn't help us draw near to God. It actually keeps us from drawing near to God. When we see our emotion and our struggle and our pain as dangerous and unreliable and uncontrollable, we, we won't attend to it. And what Kurt Thompson is saying is we have to attend to it. That's what God's calling us to. And later on, he actually says that when we do, that is when transformation actually will happen in our lives. Church, maybe the one of the reasons that we struggle to experience change and growth is because we avoid processing and bringing our uncomfortable emotions to God. Perhaps our proposition this morning is true. Genuine trust in God is displayed and developed in our wrestling complaints. And we need to bring our complaints to grow our trust. Would you consider doing that this week? I mean, what would it look like for you to take some time in prayer and with God and, and, and just wrestle with him about what he's doing and what you're seeing in this world that's causing you to have stress and frustration? Well, what can we learn about how Habakkuk brings his complaint to God? I mean, let's look at the anatomy of his complaint. I want to point out two things if I can, because I, I do believe we can cross the line. We can grow, go too far. We can use emotion for manipulation to try to get what we want. So, so what can we learn from how Habakkuk approaches God with his lament and with his pain? Well, the first thing is this. The root of his complaint 
doesn't impact his trust negatively. Say that again. The root of his complaint doesn't impact his trust negatively. We don't see Habakkuk thinking that he's going to walk away from God in the middle of this. He doesn't ever say that he's going to stop obeying God. It's, it's actually a really beautiful picture we have. You see, I think many of us, we go to one of two extremes when we think about our complaints. The, the one extreme that many Christians go to is we say, don't bring your complaint or you'll get in trouble. Like, There's no way for us to bring our raw, intense, uh, unfiltered emotion to God or we're going to, to get in trouble. Or we see the other extreme, which is the way the world looks at it, right? And what they say is, how can a loving God allow suffering and evil? And if that's what he, who he is, I don't, won't believe in him. And so you kind of have these, these two ideas that our world understands, right? We're either not going to bring our complaints or we are and we're going to walk away. And here we don't see either of those things happening in Habakkuk. He brings his complaint, but it doesn't impact negatively his understanding of who God is. In fact, it's because of who God is that Habakkuk actually feels completely and totally safe bringing his complaint. Habakkuk's experience and knowledge of God doesn't stop him from being expressive. It makes him more expressive. We see in verse 12 and 13, you see Habakkuk refer to God. He says, are you not from everlasting? And he says, O Lord, you have ordained them as judgment, you and you, O rock, have established them for reproof. And, and you see him calling out these specific concepts and understandings, his own experience of who God is, that he's everlasting, the Holy One, the Sovereign One, the rock. And, and what makes him able to say those things is you see it, and we should not miss it, that very early on in verse 12, he says, O Lord, my God, my Holy One, that there's this deep personal encounter of who God is that enables him, therefore, to bring to God his struggles without, without a fear of walking. He knows God is who he says he is. He believes that wholeheartedly. He wants to trust that even more, so he's bringing his complaints to him. Derek Kidner, a writer and a theologian, he wrote of bringing our emotions and messy prayers to God and he, he said that God says this, I've remained their God not because they put on a happy face, because they don't. Not because they have perfect emotional self-control, because they don't. Not because they're doing everything just right, because they're not. I remain their God because of my grace, because my relationship to them is not based on their performance. It's because of my unconditional, covenantal, committed love. And Habakkuk knows that, and that's why he comes to God with rawness and realness in his complaints because he, he, he wants to grow in his trust and he knows that bringing his inability to, inability to understand and know what God is doing is going to help him grow in his trust. So again, I would ask you this week, will you come to God? Would, would you just maybe journal or consider having a few moments with God tomorrow morning when you wake up and, and come to him with a realness, acknowledging who he is like Habakkuk does, 
God, you are holy, you are righteous, you are safe, you are trustworthy. And so, so I bring these things that I don't understand. Habakkuk knows that, and that's why he comes to God. One more thing that we see in the anatomy of Habakkuk's complaint, and it's this. The path from sorrow to silence to song is a process. I just want to point out one more time that Habakkuk complains twice. And so it happens over time. Let us not rush through our struggles and our hurts. It's a process. And in this, there's a time for speaking our sorrows and there's a time for listening. And we need time for both of those things. How long? I don't know. But sometime, we need time for both of those things to happen before we're going to get to the place where we see Habakkuk get to song. And next week, we'll see another response to God, from God to Habakkuk. But, but notice how Habakkuk lands by saying and having the humility to say to God, I trust you and so... Thank you for letting me say how I feel, and now I'll listen. Because listening to God is a form of trust. He says in chapter 2, verse 1, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. That he just wants to hear from God now, and he takes time to wait for him to listen. Genuine trust is displayed and developed in wrestling complaints. You know, it's interesting to think about Jesus and how he can relate here. You see, he was alone in the garden asking God, will you take this cup from me? And Jesus went through the sorrow and the silence because he knew that in this life, we would need someone who could handle the weight and the intensity and the hardness of our emotion. So he went to the cross so you and I could have no fear, be fully known, fully transparent, and be welcomed by God. Include By reading the stanza of a song that actually has been incredibly helpful for me, Andrew Peterson, he's a great artist and uh, poet, and he wrote a song that I started listening to about 10 years ago when, as again, I told you, I'm really asking God to help me here, to grow me, so that my trust will grow, knowing that when I I can enter into these struggles of life and, and bring my frustrations to God, that it will actually grow my trust in him. If I come knowing and building those off of what I already know to be true of him. And there was a song that a buddy of mine showed me called The Silence of God. And I want to end and conclude with the last two stanzas of that song. It says, There's a statue of Jesus on a monastery knoll in the hills of Kentucky, all quiet and cold. And he's kneeling in the garden, as silent as a stone. And his friends are sleeping, and he's weeping all alone. And the man of sorrows, he never forgot what sorrow is carried 
by the hearts that he bought. So when the questions dissolve into the silence of God, the aching remains, but the breaking does not. Yes, the aching may remain, but the breaking does not in the holy, lonesome echo of the silence. Awesome God, this world is a broken and hard place. Might we be a people who don't hide from that, but actually bring our pains and our heartaches to you. And as we do, may what happened to Habakkuk happen to us as well. And may our trust and experience of you until you make all things right one day. Thank you for Jesus and his wrestling in the garden that allows us to wrestle in freedom with you. In Jesus' name we pray.